0: Hi, it's Raghu. I am back, and I'm back with a brand new, going to be a long-term friend, I can tell, Michael Taft. Welcome, Michael.
1: Hey, I feel welcome, Raghu. Thanks for having me on.
0: So, Michael uh, has done some fantastic work around mindfulness, but I would say the real mindfulness... (laughs) Because <laughs> mindfulness is bandied about today by everyone's a mindfulness expert today, uh, but it's uh, it's it's about true spirituality, not about getting better at being a stockbroker. So uh, Michael will have a lot to say about that, and uh, so deconstructing yourself is the site right is is what yeah. you.
1: Yeah, Deconstructing Yourself is my main blog site that's been around since something like 2011.
0: And uh, not just a blog, but you're doing podcasts as well. We should let people know that they can check in with you with some wonderful guests that I saw.
1: Starting about a year ago, I just was having all these really deep, wonderful, um, and just, I don't know, to me, very fascinating conversations with various teachers on the phone and at a certain point, I think it was I was talking with Kenneth Folk, the mindfulness, the uh, uh, hardcore Dharma mindfulness uh, instructor. And we were like, why aren't we recording this? We should record this. Mm-hmm. These are, it's a cool conversation. So we recorded about three of them. And that became the, the beginning of the Deconstructing Yourself podcast. So that's been really, really fun.
0: I love the name. I think it's fabulous. Can you talk about it? Okay, because everything we do at Be Here Now Network and certainly on Mind Rolling is about how can we share the most practical down-to-earth information. You don't have to be a Buddhist or a Hindu or anything-ish. What? With people to get life in balance. That's our theme here is life in balance. So uh, let's start. Let's do a deconstruct here. Let's talk about that.
1: Let's get our minds rolling, Raghu. Yeah. So, you know, I I, um, am a student of uh, several different teachers, but uh, one of my main teachers is Shinzen Young, who you might know of, Yes. uh, you know, a.k.a. Steve Young, uh, who um, is a very creative mindfulness teacher and, uh, you know, has brought together many different practices from many different traditions into a very uh detailed uh and kind of complex meditation structure uh that covers practically every possible meditation base i i he's just a fascinating guy i love shinzon and i'm really grateful to him for a lot of uh his teachings and one of the things that he teaches is um a technique he calls focus in where you're taking not just the body sensations that we usually do in mindfulness but the more expanded, like full version of the Satipatthana uh, Sutta mindfulness where it's regular body sensations and body sensations of emotion. And then uh, um, the mental thoughts, uh, mental talk and, and mental images. And you're tracking all that separately with like this really detailed mindfulness. So you're really paying attention to internal experience. At a, in kind of a in a in a kind of analytical way, and um, the more we did that, uh, year after year after year, just meditating on sort of the internal experience in that way. I, I realized, you know, what I was watching happen was just the momentary arising and passing of the ego, the arising and passing of another ego, the arising and passing of another ego moment by moment. And I'm like, wow, this whole practice is just about deconstructing yourself. And that just, that, the phrase just kind of went up yeah. in my mind. And I'm like, so that that's what this is. It's deconstructing yourself. And I got more and more excited about the idea. And it, I just thought it made kind of a intriguing and weird title for a blog. Yeah. No, a long time great. ago. And I've yeah. just stuck with it ever since. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, okay, so tell tell us what was the impulse or the trigger that led you to even think you would want to pursue any part of this journey of finding <laughs> of deconstruction. What what are the things I mean, you know, I've talked a lot about it uh, in the early podcasts, uh, about my own um triggers which were obviously psychedelics was was a major trigger and so was music why me. do you say obviously <laughs> well my <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> you know what i'm still you know so in my role as uh, director of the love server remember foundation ramdas and nimkaroli baba <laughs> excuse me in that role i get mail and I siphon it off to wherever it needs to go just to make sure I'm on top of it because Ramdas himself can't be handling that kind of thing at this point he's not interested he's interested for to get you know certain letters that are are people really reaching out to him and and I keep him informed but as a result happy birthday to Ramdas Oh today. yeah it's Ramdas's birthday today yeah that's yeah. A, auspicious <laughs> you're doing this Michael on this day I just um what I'm trying to say is that uh, so many people are still <laughs> writing in around in their, in their early 20s or something, you know, next generation. Okay, I took a psychedelic and I found this book, Be Here Now, and suddenly my life has changed. And I'm like, Can you help out, flesh this out for me? I can't tell you how much. Well, so, I, I, that <laughs> phenomenon of the combo of, of psychedelics and Be Here Now. And and still and college, <laughs> I found it a friend of mine. The table in college, you know, that is still going on. It's extraordinary to me. So yes, yeah. and certainly back then um, that was a, a major trigger for many of us, and not you. I I know not that me. you didn't yeah. do anything like that <laughs> because you're a, a Buddhist. Buddhists don't do that.
1: Uh, but I'm, I'm just as much of a Hindu and just as
0: much of a not either of those. So. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so tell us what are, what were the triggers though to just realize there's a path to freedom?
1: You know, the early trigger is like most people's just total pain and suffering, um, uh, which you know, <laughs> helpful, yeah, yeah, which which mainly took the form of uh, extreme anxiety. You know, by the time I was in high school, uh, I was just getting those kind of panic attacks where you can't even move. You know, you're just it's it's mm. really really unpleasant. And this is like 1970s Michigan. There just wasn't any, you know, there wasn't much available, uh, in terms of help. And, uh, but I had heard about this thing meditation and, you know, I remember I read books like John Lilly's book about, you know, like the brain and, and, uh, flotation tanks and stuff. So I just had some ideas about stuff you could do and, and, um, so I, I think I, uh, started doing the kind of like a yoga nidra type practice where you just do a progressive relaxation over and over and over. And what do you know? It's kind of relieved my anxiety. <laughs> and, uh, so I was hooked right. and, um, and I also read quite a bit. Once I went to college, I read quite a bit of Robert Anton Wilson, those types of books, and uh, lots of Ram Dass, mm-hmm. and and got heavily into the uh, psychedelics uh, for mm. sure. Yeah, and um, uh, the rest, you know, is just
0: pursuing that path of meditation. Interestingly enough, of course, after getting a little bit up to date with you. Uh, and the things that you've done and your interests certainly. Uh, uh, am I assuming? Have you been to India yourself? Yeah, actually, yeah. quite a bit. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. So, like yeah. me, yeah, just love India. Not not as much as you, love, but <laughs> a lot. You know? yeah.
1: I, I love it. Um, I uh, my my Hindu teacher is uh, uh was Dhyan Yogi, Dhyan Yogi Sri Madhusudan So very strong Hanuman Ram lineage. Oh. and uh, where was he? Of, he was in um. Uh, the heaven on earth of, of so, oh, oh, wow <laughs> city of dust. <laughs> so spent a lot of time in uh, Gujarat, but
0: also, you know, tons of pilgrimage around uh-huh. the Himalayas. And, and what was that tradition? What was his, um...
1: you know, he is a very unusual character. He um, was, uh, I think he started out as a Ramanand monk and then uh, kind of, had uh, some very large awakenings on his own and kind of went off and became uh, a a wandering sadhu for many, many, many decades, Um, Hmm. and then eventually landed in in, uh, rural Gujarat uh, in a little uh, village outside of Rajkot called... uh, uh, um, I'm just going to blank on the name Bandwar. I've been there a bunch of times. It's I, called Bandwar. It's way, yeah. way, 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 way out. Beautiful thing, beautiful place. And so he was—he was just uh, the head of a. They begged him to be the head of the temple there, and he's like, "Look, I, I don't do that. I'm a sadhu." But eventually, he was like, "Okay." They had a little Hanuman temple, and he became uh, big in the '70s in Bombay, and then actually came to the U.S. for about. Four years in the early 70s. Wow. And, uh, the tradition is kind of unusual. It's a very strong Ram Hanuman uh, devotional, but together with a lot of uh, like Kundalini Tantra stuff. Very strong, heavy duty uh, Shaktipat Kundalini stuff.
0: Wow. That is an interesting combo. Right. Very, very rare. <laughs> yeah. You're going to, uh, we'll have to get from you a way that people can link up to just find out more about him. And
1: uh... Yeah. That tradition is, call, uh, is called Dhyan Yoga Centers. Uh-huh. And so the uh, that particular group is a uh, dyc.org, Dhyan Yoga Centers. So dyc.org. Okay. His main uh, heir is Anandima, uh, Sri Anandima. She lives in Antioch here, and I've okay. known her for decades. So, oh. yeah. so are
0: so there's some connectivity to with you, uh, with this tradition to to this day. Or
1: um... oh, absolutely! I've had nothing but a good experience. I'm not super active with the practices at this point, but that was certainly my main practice for a long, long time. Mm. And uh, even the house I'm in here, which is my my friend's house, if I took the computer around and showed you, it's all like Ram and Han Hanuman
0: images and devotional yeah. stuff, right up right up our alley then yeah there we go (laughs) sorry i just was (laughs) in the in the center of all of that uh, in the himalayas and um so but lucky you yeah yeah really it's interesting because you know we're talking about traditions and and i think before we got on i said well let's talk about the intersection of non-duality which is a, a very strong uh Intent that you have, for sure, of sharing that with people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so non-duality, uh, where's the intersection of non-duality duality and bhakti yoga, that which is the tradition that I come from. But the thing with Neem Karoli Baba was we all, and this has been said many times before, but he didn't tell us to do anything. He didn't teach but we all ended up at the Vipassana course with Sharon and Joseph and Jack, so so at a, at, at a Goenka Center, yeah, in Bodh Gaya, yeah. yeah. and, and back in that day, and so there is an intersection for us of of that tradition informing uh, the Bhakti tradition that we are very much a part of, and so that's why when I saw that you, I didn't quite I didn't know about Dion yogi but uh i saw that you had experience in in uh, with uh hinduism in that way and i wondered how what that intersection was still for you because i guess what i'm getting at beating around the bush (laughs) what are you trying to get at ragu (laughs) just spit it out That Sometimes the non-dual thing I've seen, you know, many people, I feel like there's a real trap there because of the exquisite understanding that people can have through the non-dual lens. Uh, and uh, I actually, I have something from you called non-dual fundamentalism and limitless awakening in which you are, it's it's basically a very cautionary thing about just what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But non-dual awareness is just so lovely. The most beautiful part of the non-dual experiences is how it encompasses all things. As the name itself suggests, there are not two things anywhere, but simply one vast, spacious, capital yes of the universe. Non-duality is the awareness that says yes to all things, says yes even to no, even to no dash thing. It is a direct experience of the already perfect and pureness of the entire universe because there are not two. It has no opposite, it it bears no contradiction, and it has no enemies or problems. As beautiful and powerful as non-dual experience is, like all spiritual awakenings, it has some unskillful, unskillful expressions that can lead to unnecessary difficulties in regular old duality. Like your life <laughs> can even end up derailing your further awakening, which is you know what a uh, nice writing, nice little piece of writing gets right to the point. What is just really what I've had have had this dialogue before, and uh, just the that that trap is a gigantic uh, trap in my mind when the practices that uh, are in you know from vipassana forward. And mindfulness and awareness and Ramdas calls witness—they uh, are tremendous aids in our day-to-day uh, processing of our lives. And uh, at the same time, without that, um, the heart—I think it's a difficult thing. So that's 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 where I was beating around the bush. But <laughs> it's it's really interesting, Raghu. You know, I'm not. Uh,
1: uh, dedicated to criticizing any particular practice. You know, that's not what I'm about. Uh, I love all the expressions, you know, everything bhakti and and mindfulness and various tantric practices and non-dualism or non-dual practices and, and a lot of other stuff. I, I think it's all wonderful. And because I've worked with so much of it for so long, in just a really practical way, you kind of see each each different practice has its own thing it's really good at, right? And each individual kind of style of practice also has its thing that you where it's really typically going off the rails. You know, you just notice that. Uh, uh, geez, a lot of people in that kind of tradition are kind of missing it in this in this one way, and and in this other tradition. They're, they've got that covered, but they're missing it in another way. So I just want to start out there and say, you know, yes, uh, these are all wonderful traditions that I, I love and respect. I, I, I think um, with non-dualism, it, you know, uh, simply put, it's just the um, not only perfection of awareness, but the perfection, it can be the perfection of spiritual bypassing, right? It can just mm-hmm. be, Um, so easily misused to decide that there's nothing we need to do anywhere because there's no problems. Everything's already perfect. Therefore I, uh, you know, I don't have to help my neighbor and I don't even have to, you know, fix my own crappy personality or whatever. It's, it's all already perfect.
0: Or be uh, kind, just be kind. Be kind.
1: Right, that's it's it's so true, and and um, that kind of spiritual bypassing, of course, arises in all traditions, not just non-dualism. But for whatever reason, because of the way uh, uh, non-dual practices work, it just really lends itself to that. So you do see a lot of what I would consider to be kind of checked out. Um, dissociative spiritually bypassing sort of
0: individuals who are you know
1: in that tradition but again can you
0: get how there, about an there, example there, of a of a uh, spiritual bypass give us an example of this. oh
1: it's easy you know um uh i don't need you know i've had people tell me this a lot like hey the um uh trump pre- presidency um, which is a catastrophe uh, to the entire world, to all animals, to all beings. I mean, it's a catastrophe, right? But I know uh, uh, I've heard from many people who say something like, hey, I just don't get involved in that. I don't think about it. It's not important. Everything's already perfect and pure. And so I'm just going to sit here and you know connect in with the universal uh, uh, uh Rigpa or universal consciousness of the moment and, and just be peaceful and happy. And to me, that is you know, like uh, uh, the ultimate spiritual bypass, but in a, in a more common way, it can just be, yeah, I, I'm an asshole to my wife, but that's okay because everything's already perfect and pure. <laughs> and she just doesn't understand that I'm beyond, you know, doing the dishes or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, this can happen with any tradition. It's not just non dualism, but it tends yeah. to show it be much more pronounced there because it makes it easy to do things, to say things like, well, my emotions aren't, don't even matter. They're not mine yeah. at all. And, and uh, my feelings don't matter. My thoughts don't matter. You know, people can check out in a pretty extreme
0: way. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, I'll tell you, Ram does is funny sometimes he'll like i i'm not sure if you know but we do hold these retreats in Maui with Ramdas and Krishnas yeah. is a double bill thing and there's always one of our we have the only friends we have amongst the three of us are in the other are Buddhists we don't yeah. have any other friends that's just the way it is <laughs> and they're great friends and so they're always out there at the retreat and and we we have this wonderful combo which it seems to be a part of who we are you know and uh, at the same time ramdas will say he'll talk about the exquisite nature especially the, more, more around buddhism in general but more i think more around tibetan buddhism uh, where he's had you know known a lot of lamas and so on the exquisite nature of the interpretation shall we say of of reality it, it seems to be the most well elucidated and thought out over these, you know, whatever, hundreds of years, thousand years, whatever. And he says that is such a trap for people to get caught in knowing in any way whatsoever, feeling like there's a knowing going on related to, to this cosmology that is just incredible i i even find myself at times i'll read something my favorite um teacher is uh, one of them um is dilgo Kensi rinpoche mm-hmm. i don't i'm sure you know who he is and i'll get caught up in a way because of he's incredible that the three or four lines can just give you such a a, a feeling of grasping uh, no, I don't mean grasping that way. I mean of understanding or grokking mm-hmm. uh, something very deep and so on. And, and so, yeah, Ram Dass talks a lot about that trap, which is to me beyond the spiritual bypass.
1: Well, and you know, the, um, this isn't just Buddhism in, they don't even use the word non-dualism in Buddhist scriptures. There's yeah. really only one that ever even uses the term, uh, in Buddhism, it would be called emptiness, but, um, uh, the Advaita word, you know, non-dual Advaita, is Advaita Vedanta, So it is Hindu, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. uh, of course it's a Hindu, it's Hindu reformulation of Buddhist uh, philosophy. It doesn't surprise me that you guys have all your Buddhist friends. I mean, Hinduism <laughs> and Buddhism were buddies in India for a couple yeah, yeah. thousand years, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: you
1: go, you go to uh, Elora, right there in yeah, like, right. Maharashtra, and you've got all those Buddhist and Hindu and Jain tantric caves all together they were all practicing together right.
0: well let's talk uh w- but there uh, there no no de- there's so there are a bunch of obvious intersecting um yeah. things between the two and, and in this um blog that you wrote you know just that uh that the the reality there are not two things but simply one um when we got to India, when in the first days with Neem Baba, the f- I mean, <laughs> he immediately went sub ek, <laughs> just one, only one. There's only one every day. There's only one. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's 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 an ob- actually on on the uh, in the old days when we were there, and the uh, when you went through the gate of the ashram on, uh, written on top was, uh, this is the non-dual Hanuman <laughs> temple of wow. Neem Baba. Wow. Which one was that? Which temple? Kenchi. Oh, Kenchi. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you I've made been,
1: it. Uh, I've been to the, the Neem Karoli Baba temple in uh, in Hardwar, and also, I think there's one Rishikesh. in Vindavan, too. Yeah, Rishikesh, in the, yeah. Yeah, Rishikesh. Yeah. Rishikesh.
0: And I think Srimah was there. It was great. I had a nice time. Oh, you actually had her darshan then, huh? Mm, oh, yeah. lovely. Yeah, she just left us a couple of months ago. Mm. So, um, so yes. Yeah, so that all one, and there, you know, there is not two. There is one, and and for us, me, we actually met somebody who was living in that state of right. not two which it was a first for all of us, meeting somebody with that eye that you could relate with, uh, as you usually do with other people. <laughs> it was a, it was a whole... Anyhow, there. so what to say, uh, all to say is, what, just share with us, uh, from this tradition and from what you teach and, and share with people, just share a little bit of what you feel would be uh, really advantageous in terms of the deconstructing of the self-referential me, me, me on a day- to-day basis.
1: Yeah, that um, uh, is where things like typical Hindu tantric practice or the kind of uh, deconstructive mindfulness that I'm uh, working with a lot leads to a uh, leads to a non-dual experience. So, you know, the the thing that you notice every day if you pay attention is that everything you're doing is being driven by thoughts and feelings, right? You've got emotions that are pulling you around. You're trying to have this good feeling and avoid that bad feeling. Uh, and that's a huge amount of your life is just trying to avoid a bad feeling or get a good feeling, right? That's... Um, almost like mechanical, pulling us back and forth. And then the same thing with thoughts. We want to, you know, have pleasant thoughts. We want to avoid unpleasant thoughts. And then you mix those two things together, the thoughts and feelings. And it, if you look carefully, that's what most people call me, right? That's our sense of self, is this kind of bundle of thoughts and feelings that's sort of trying to avoid certain things and trying to get other certain things. And... Um, You know, Raghu, it's really, uh, whether it's strong meditation practice or maybe even a particular kind of psychedelic experience, which I have, you know, no experience of, uh, (laughs) you 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 can notice very clearly without even that much training, you can begin to notice, wow, those thoughts and feelings are just kind of there. They're just sort of happening. And it's not that we're trying to necessarily stop them or change them or anything, but just even noticing that that's not necessarily the deepest understanding of who you are, right? Mm -hmm. And even being able to just see, wow, I'm just, you know, uh, it's like I'm being bossed around by these feelings and by these thoughts and, and yet that's not even me, right? It's really that easy. Uh, even if even if that uh, realization takes a while to notice, it's right there, right? It's right there, and and just beyond that is the beginning of noticing uh, that egoic sense of self arising and passing. It's constantly changing. It's moving. It's it's not a uh, it's not an abiding you know witness. It's not awareness and um and so that already begins to move you into uh seeing that awareness or consciousness is what is actually abiding it's what's really if anything is really there if we know anything is actually existing at all it's conscious awareness right it's um this being awareness so to me there's i always feel like there's thousands of techniques and yet the thing they're trying to point out is really kind of simple you know and once you make that move into just vast spacious awareness or loving awareness it definitely has a love component um uh, what i think is really fascinating is some traditions make that uh atheistic and kind of like just rational and that would That would be, uh, let's say, more the Buddhist direction. But there's also, you know, completely rich, deep traditions of theistic non-dualism, which would be like Shankaracharya or something. Mm. You know, Hindu non-dualism is Mm. theistic. The one consciousness is God. So it it almost leaves out the God or not God question, you know, it just goes straight to the awareness. Um, So that's, I don't know. To me, it's a it's so beautiful and it's it's right there. Oh, is that your dog that I heard about in the podcast I was listening to? Yeah.
0: Well, at least they're not barking. Okay. <laughs> He's coming show, up to me. Going to show him on the screen there. Uh, No, I can't. (laughs) I will will after. I was Uh, listening to your podcast with Tammy about the Dharma of Dogs, and I was like, oh, Oh, with Tammy. Oh, God, that was so great. (laughs) I loved that. I didn't even know she was that much of a a dog person. So we had a great Oh, my God, yeah. It doesn't get doggier than (laughs) Tammy's world. (laughs) That's Anyhow, I love what what, uh, this uh, referential point change really is what we're talking about and Ramdas, yes. his thing is you know moving away from this thought emotion ego uh role referential me into heart center whatever you want to call it soul spiritual heart uh and yeah. and and, ha- and just moving your perspective is to me is absolutely the first thing that everybody who f- goes okay I'm so fucked up I need, <laughs> I need a change or or something happens, uh, an enlightened moment, and uh, you move in that direction. And certainly, uh, perspective, is, changing perspective is extraordinarily important and that there is a, a way uh, using intention to do that for sure. Um, the, the There's a few different things that, I, uh, that I, I'd like to bring up that I just saw you either blogging about or on a podcast. One of them is uh, you talk about accepting... And ch- accepting, which is important word, and changing how you're feeling, because yeah. we all go through on a day-to-day basis. There's many shifts based on incoming phenomena that we eat up and move, and moves us into another place. Uh, talk about that, because that's a, a, if uh, people certainly would uh, it would be very useful for people to be able to find a way to change that habitual well, pattern.
1: Well, you know, Raghu, there's this interesting tension in life and in in, in uh, the various spiritual traditions between uh, accepting things just as they are and changing things or transforming things for the better. And I think it's easy for people to get stuck in one or the other of those directions. In fact, when I was describing spiritual bypassing, in a way that's getting too stuck on leaving everything the way it is, right? It's all already perfect, I'm just gonna accept it. And uh, our society is really about doing things and changing things for the better, so we don't really um, uh, like acceptance very much. And so we, we don't practice it very often. You know, you get over to an um, Asian tradition in Asia, there's a lot more acceptance of just how difficult things can be. And uh, uh, we don't really do that um, so much. To say so the one, very least. Yeah. And so one of the first things um, in, in, for most people anyway, in Western culture is, learning that surrender and acceptance and just letting some things be. There's some things that can't be, I mean, just, it's so obvious, right? That I feel uh, ridiculous having to say it. And yet I teach enough to know I have to say it, which is there's a lot of stuff that just can't be changed. The past can't be changed. You know, the weather can't be changed. The thing you did last week can't be changed, you know, and yet we are spending a tremendous amount of time all knotted up about that. And so I, for, for that kind of, for us in this kind of society, it's a big deal to learn acceptance and, and just to be able to be with what is. And yet, um, you know, once people feel the bliss of that and really settle into how wonderful that can be, that kind of giving up of... All cares, you know, to Ram or whatever. it just, just unloading the burden, right? It's just such a joy, and and so you can go too far the other way, and now it, that's when it's like, yeah, um, you still gotta, you still gotta clean the bathroom and do the dishes. Come on, we're not just gonna accept that the dishes are piling up. We're not gonna just accept that that you know you're being a jerk to your employees or you know whatever whatever the person is doing. So <clears throat> there's this whole other pole to the dichotomy, right, to the, to the, um, to the interplay, which is remembering to improve this, uh, and change what can be changed and transform what can be transformed. I think it's just such a wonderful, beautiful paradox that in a way, you know, we are not our egos, our egos are just happening compared to the perfection of awareness. They almost don't even matter. And yet at the same time, they are made of the perfection of awareness and creating, working to have a better ego just so people around you have a better time dealing with you is every bit as holy as connecting in with the beauty of awareness, Mm -hmm. right? So this balance, and I think it's just so easy for me, that's for sure, let alone anybody else, but let's just say me to get stuck on either just, Oh, let's just accept. And then you get really passive and passive aggressive. and you know. <laughs> Or like, you know, when I was 25, it's like, I'm going to meditate till my hat explodes because it's time to get enlightened. And, you know, you can mm-hmm. just get so involved in non-acceptance and change, change, change. And of mm-hmm. course it's, it's not even that it's the balance between those. It's, the, it's like a yin-yang where one is inside the other, right? Mm, yeah. Inside the change is this perfect acceptance and inside the acceptance is this continuous change.
0: Well, it is the core thing here that we we all do is not accept discomfort and not ex- accept, and as you say, things that we cannot change, not accept... And uh, and run rather than cozy up and make a little bit of friends with that uh, discomfort or, uh, you know, any kind of negative emotions and thoughts and so on that we all go through on a day to day basis. Uh, Let me just tell this little story, because you just reminded me when you said give it all up to Ram. Yeah. Right. Which is very much part of our tradition. So I see, many people know this, because I've been doing some podcasts, because I was, I was in India, although I was just there and just came back, I was also there towards the end of last year, and uh, we were in, um, we went to a jungle in the middle of India in Madhya Pradesh uh, to see our jungle Baba. We we have somebody that we've met over the last few years through Neem Karoli Baba, and uh it's a very long, strange story, but he is a uh, dreadlocked, uh, like looks like a naga. You've been to India, right? The naked sadhus, but he's not naked anymore. And you know, 25 years in and out of cave, left caves when left when he was 12. That kind of a thing, and he's totally Ram. It's just Ram. Ram. It's all Ram so one time i said to him and this is in relation i hope it can help a little bit cuz it helped me in relation to running from discomfort or f- fear whatever it may be and i said you so you went out you were a kid and you went into a cave in the in the jungle and wild animals and no no surety of getting food and no you know, forget about comfort <laughs> you know and i said So what about fear? You mean to tell me? And he said, in the very beginning, there was fear. But just, you know, like very beginning, like when he was first there, days, until, and folks out there, this doesn't just happen. This is somebody who's obviously done a million lifetimes of this kind of work to get to be a free being, which he seems to be. And he said, but then I realized... The wild animals are Ram. The cold is Ram. The fear is Ram. It's all Ram. There's only, I realize there's only one thing going on. He didn't say it quite like that. Just yeah. Ram. There's only one thing going on. And once you f- you feel that trust, and this is my words, you get a little bit because that's what happened with me in the moment. I, I was sincere in asking about this, and and then suddenly, a little bit more of, of trust in that deepest part of ourselves that knows that, which is what you're talking about, as far as I'm concerned, when we talk about awareness and the pure I mean, and that's why I love this blog, you know the the uh, it's, it's so lovely. non-dual awareness is so lovely when i'll say ram is so lovely and i don't think there's any difference between the two
1: yeah like i said the the uh,
0: theistic version
1: of non-dualism is wonderful i was talking to a friend of mine kelly boys who's a a non-dual teacher who is also a christian and she was just talking about you know uh the, the field of awareness and being held by uh, that in the form of Jesus. And I was like, wow, I, you know, I,
0: I just don't, that's not me. I don't go there, but I, I could feel it. You know, yeah, you're, you're yeah, like, exactly. yeah, yeah. that's wonderful. Uh, another thing that uh, I think you, you do mention and it's, I think it, there can be some, um, uh, Incisive stuff for people here around mindfulness and emotions, and what you talked about uh, was uh, maintaining an emotional intelligence uh, as part of mindfulness. And, uh, and uh, as you know, uh, Danny Goleman, who wrote that great book *Emotional Intelligence*, was part of our family over there back in the day. And, uh, great and book. I, yeah, yeah, it's a great book. But just in terms of how you've integrated that concept within what you uh, share with people well you just said the main point um which is cozying
1: up to discomfort is really the essence of that idea uh if if there's something that we're doing in the version of mindfulness that i'm teaching and and maybe a little bit of shinzen's version uh if there's something that we're doing too much of it's cozy like is is accepting the discomfort that's what we're into so you know not in a masochistic way yeah, but there's a hope. ton of emotional discomfort you can't do anything about it's just there and the idea is okay let's sit with that let's be friends with it let's you know uh be curious about how it manifests in your body let's get into every little detail of those sensations and And as you do that, of course, you know, Raghu, that it starts to transform. It, It turns into something else, even if it's not that it becomes joy or whatever. The experience of even a very difficult emotion that you contact deeply with tremendous openness and clarity and acceptance is very different than an emotion that you're resisting and trying to run away from. And so... Integrating emotions into practice is, for me, that's that's the life changer. You know, as I work mm. with students, when when they can start to get it, it's a moment in practice, right? When they start to get it, like, oh, my whole life doesn't have to be about running away from a bad feeling. I can sit with that, and it's actually not even that bad. Uh, and that suddenly something shifts where the, they can just begin to sink into a much, much deeper stillness and, and peacefulness, yeah. you know, and, and clarity. So that particular thing of, of, uh, you know, if I had anything to say ever to anybody out there, I would say, you know, you don't have to run from bad emotions. You can just sit with them and yeah. and just See, see what they have to say and, and, and cozy up to them and let them transmit their wisdom to you. It's very, very deep teaching. And then, you know, my friend uh, Rick Hansen will come in and say, no, you got to transform them into good emotions. And he's right, right? You could take it too far. So, you know, you don't want to just sit there with continuous d- depressed rumination either, you know. We can then begin to, <laughs> yeah. to transform That's those right. into something positive.
0: Yeah. In my own experience, I found that the sitting there, just to take that in a little bit more detail, the sitting there with whatever that negative thing is, or fear, you're sitting there. You're, you're. I, I think you're. The obviousness of going through the sensations in your body. That's why vipassana practice is excellent practice, uh, and uh, I, I highly recommend that. Uh, I wish this, everyone from every other practice had just
1: a little bit more Vipassana skill. It helps everything.
0: Yeah, it helps everything. You know, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, I heard years ago, would have his novice monks do Vipassana.
1: You bet, yeah. yeah. Any Tantric tradition, right, you start out in Vipassana, and then, or at least Tantric Buddhism, you start out in Vipassana, then go Mahayana, and
0: eventually end up in Tantric practices. Yeah, yeah exactly. But if so, once you're, you're sitting, there's i'd suggest a way of like internal embracing you're actually taking your your arms and inside yourself not that you couldn't be physically but actually embracing the feeling of embracing that is human we are human it's okay and just feeling eventually you can actually go into that ramdas's loving awareness heart space where you're actually, you're, you're loving what it is that you're feeling. And to me, that's the same as this Baba going on about it's Ram. Every aspect, uh, that whatever phenomena is coming into you in that moment is Ram. You are Ram. There is only one pool. of, And once you get there, the sting will go away. Of that, the, the second arrow is removed, yes. Yeah.
1: You know, Raghu. One one time, a couple of years ago, I was in Zurich, and uh, if you've never been to Zurich, it's a wonderful place mm. um, in Switzerland. And there, there's a, a a large cathedral there that I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was um, uh, built by the Protestants. So it's a huge Protestant cathedral, um, and. Um, it's like in the city square and it's gorgeous. And so I was checking it out and, and there weren't a ton of tourists. It was big and beautiful. And I walked up to the top and so on, but outside in the square, which was very tiny, the the, the square around this enormous cathedral is remarkably small. And in that square was a brass model of the cathedral, like maybe a meter long or something and and a meter high and and i was like that is the (laughs) that is the strangest thing like what is that like here's the cathedral and over there is a brass model of the cathedral it didn't make any sense but I, i noticed like it was covered with a patina but then like in certain areas the patina was worn away and that started I started dawning on me what it must be. And sure enough, when I got over there, it had Braille on the front of it. So the idea was you're going to like, if you were blind, you could still quote, you know, see the cathedral by t- touching this brass model with your hands. So, so devotional people who happen to be non-sighted could come in and feel the cathedral, right? It was really, Mm. really just beautiful. Mm. But to me, that's, that's Vipassana of emotions. You are, you are, yes, hugging them and yes, loving them. And even more, you're trying to do that thing of almost like, if you imagine that person touching that model getting into every little tiny nook and cranny and detail and feeling it with both hands so that you're get, you're getting this really high resolution really subtle curious almost like aesthetic appreciation mm-hmm. for the feel of the emotion visceral v- visceral but also like um, uh, um, tactile right mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah
1: You feel it with your body. I keep, I I always say to people, you know, you want to feel the feeling of the feeling. And that's, that's where it starts to move into curiosity and into a different kind of openness where it's not just like, you know, for some people, embracing a difficult emotion is like hugging their like stinky uncle or something. It's like they're going to do it. And, but it's kind of, they're kind of like not enjoying it at all. It's just like, yeah, I'm hugging it while they're all, you know, tensed up against it. And, and you want to have this, uh, this different kind of thing where it's almost like you're listening to a symphony or, or, you know, exploring a painting with your eyes or, you know, it's an aesthetic, detailed, um, uh, embodied, visceral experience of the arising of that emotion in the in the flesh.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I'm sticking with you. Got to end up hugging your stinky uncle. Okay, <laughs> forget about it. Is I, I that think that I, I probably am the stinky uncle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, so great to meet you, Michael. Mm-hmm. on the air here having a, regular, a yeah. good time oh and uh, michael has some uh, wonderful books mindful geek do you know about buddhist geeks they're my friends in nashville do, yeah. here yeah, me and vince vince and yeah oh great and a non-dualism uh a what history of a timeless concept brief brief a bunch of time <laughs> jokes in there, yeah. Yeah, really. And something on ego, right? You've yeah, I wrote together with Peter Bauman, the uh, original member
1: of Tangerine Dream. We, oh, uh, wow. Collaborated on a book about ego. Oh.
0: Some time back?
1: Oh, uh, this is about 10 years ago. Uh-huh. Wow.
0: Okay. So all of that will be on our the show notes of the uh, Mind Rolling podcast page with Michael and uh, links to Dion Yogi, right? Yeah, dyc.org is that link. Okay, and so our people that put that together are going to have all those links and uh, links to your books uh, because you uh, have a very light and delightful uh, way of um, deconstructing.
1: Thanks, Raghu. Well, it's such a pleasure to meet you and talk with you.
0: Well, we do have to thank somebody though, Michael. Who are we thinking? Brian, Dr. Brian Lewis. Ah, okay. Yeah, he uh, was down there in
1: Asheville. That's where I met him.
0: Yeah, well, he's the one who said you got to talk to Michael Taft on <laughs> mind rolling. Are you kidding? He's uh, yeah, he's become a friend. And we he's had, a great uh, doctor. <laughs>
1: Yeah right. We had a little uh, meeting of uh, sort of outcast Buddhist practitioners down there at Asheville, and that's uh, he was. Oh really? He was in there. It was great. We had a wonderful oh, time.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. So everybody, uh, like I said, you'll get all the links to be able to get a little too cozy up to uh, <laughs> Uncle Michael, <laughs> Sticky Uncle Michael, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 share, and because the the uh, practical. Uh, a quality of, of a good mindfulness teacher for everyone is inestimable as far as I'm concerned because w- it, it provides a very, very clear path to dealing with the stuff that we all deal with on a day-to-day. So I uh, thank you for that, Michael.
1: So true, as long as we can find one. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Roger. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, everybody. We'll see you next week on Mind Rolling. And uh, we'll do this again, Michael. That'd be great.